Man, I am so excited to be able to jump into the Word today, and before I do, just want to pay some honor to uh, Pastor John and Nancy. Can you guys make some noise for your incredible pastor? Come on, talk about just such vision and um, really excitement for this campus. I got to be honest with you, one of my joys of being in Greenhouse Tampa and leading that charge there is to be able to work with Pastor John, an incredible mentor. I mean, when we started this journey um, off and doing Greenhouse Tampa stuff, I looked at John and said, John, you don't really have a choice but to mentor me. You know, I was like, hey, like that, there's not really an option there, but man, I'm just so excited to be able to be here today, excited to be able to glean from this campus, excited to see your faces. The second thing, and, and it's just kind of like the, the second group I want to acknowledge is the worship team. The worship this morning, was just incredible. Can you guys make some noise for that? Man, I love it, man. I wish I could just kind of package them up and like take them in my pocket. You know, you guys need to come out with another album. I'm excited about that. Hey, go ahead and jump on your feet. And my name is Mike and I am the pastor of Greenhouse Tampa. And I'm here with my wife and adorable son, Kaysen. Uh, he is eight months. And so if you hear him scream, it's okay. He's just shouting, all right? He's just, he's just shouting with us. And um, man, we've been in this series called Navigate, and the last two weeks we talked on sexuality, uh, which was really fun and challenging, and this week I want to look at this lens of justice. How do we navigate justice? If you're online with us, so glad to have you guys here with us. If you are in Guyana, I miss you. I love seeing your faces when I can, but when we look at this idea of navigating justice, the good news is that justice is a big hot topic right now in our society. I mean, everyone and their mama is talking about justice. That's the good news. And as we look at scripture right now, we're going to see that God has a big heart for justice. Here's the not so great news. Somehow along the way, when we think of justice, the justice that we're thinking about, the justice that we're singing about, the justice that we're marching about, in some ways is not the justice that Jesus is addressing in scripture. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of reconcile those two things. How do we actually fight for things biblically in the heart of God that he's actually postured us to go with? And so if you guys would go to Proverbs chapter 31, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. And when you get, when you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Cool. If you're on the sky Bible, it's okay. It's right behind me. This is how it goes like this. It says, the words... Of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? Isn't this kind of cool, like a mom speaking to the king? Like, man, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vow? Do not give strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Look at you and say, Amen. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all who are inflicted. Give strong drink to the ones who are perishing and wine to the ones in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Here's verse 8 and 9. This is where we're going to kind of sit this morning. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we need you. We want you. We desire you, God. Father, we don't want to move with just our hearts, God. We want your hearts. And so, Jesus, I ask right now that you're going to open up our hearts. You're going to open up our ears. You're going to open up our minds that we may see, think, and hear clearly this morning. Holy Spirit, would you guide my thoughts? Would you guide my words? Jesus, we want to be your church, God, that does incredible things in this world. God, we want to move by your feet, by your motion, by your words. Could God, would you fill us up today? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, look at your neighbor say, let's do this as you're taking your seats. So, today we're talking about blind spots when it comes to justice. Now, um, a part of my journey is I spent about 15 years in Gainesville. Look at you ever say, go Gators. Any Gator fans in here? Any Gator fans in here? Come on, come on. If you're not, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but I spent 15 years in Gainesville, and when I got there in 2007, Tim Tebow was the, 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 kind of like the guy on the field. We won a bunch of different championships and stuff like that. 
But it was really easy to kind of navigate the, the land of Gainesville, Florida. I mean, there wasn't really much. It was kind of like a square around the city, around the campus. And so uh, probably about, you know, four months going in, I kind of knew the landlock of the city. Fast forward 15 years, I moved to Tampa, Florida, one of my favorite cities for my wife and I. And I had the same mentality that I was going to kind of discover and, and own the city, but this city kind of owned me. I mean, this, this city, I don't know about you, but how many of you guys have ever been to Tampa before? I mean, there's just like a bunch of construction. There's, I mean, like Apple Maps is not even like navigating correctly. I mean, I mean I'm literally, there are moments where I'm on the left-hand left side of the lane, five lanes into traffic, and the next thing you know, Apple Maps is like, your exit is in 300 feet, please. And I'm like, what in the world, right? And so it's been my journey over the last four months that I want to kind of get to know this city. I want to kind of get to know the flow and, and, the, and, and kind of like the, the lay of the land. Fast forward, I had a couple of friends come a couple of weeks ago, and they were hanging out with me. And, and I wanted to kind of convince my friend that I was a man of the city. I was a man of Hillsborough County. And so we were hanging out one day, and uh, we were going to work. We were doing some co-working or whatever. And so I decided on this day that I was going to navigate to our co-working space without Google Maps, without Apple Maps, just my brain. You ever had that moment where inside you're like terrified, but outside you're like super confident, like you're like leaning back a little bit, you know, you got the music just kind of like hit, and you know, you're looking like, hey man, you good, you good, right? But it was this day I was like terrified on the inside, I'm freaking out. I'm like, man, Mike, don't make a mistake. Because you know if you don't make this turn, you're going to be 20 minutes out of the way. It's just going to be ridiculous. Your friend's going to laugh at you. You're going to be a fool. It's going to be crazy. You know, whatever, right? And so I'm navigating to this co-working space, and I'm kind of killing it, y'all. Like, I'm absolutely killing it in this moment. And I make my way through this exit to that exit, and all of a sudden I get off one exit, and I realize last minute that when I got off, I got off on the right lane, but I'm actually supposed to make an immediate left. But I'm confident, y'all. I'm like, hey, ma'am, you know. And so I, I went through the checklist. I began to check, you know, my mirrors. I looked at my right mirror. I looked at my left mirror. I looked at my rear view mirror. I put my, 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 my sign on to say I'm going to the left. And as I'm making my way into the left-hand lane to make the left turn, guess what happens? Out of nowhere, I hear a hunk. Literally almost collided with the car. And it was crazy because this car, as they're traveling next to me, you know that moment where they're mad, they kind of slow down, they speed up and they slow down next to me. They say a bunch of words that I probably can't even repeat right now, right? <laughs> they kind of give me some gestures. But in that moment, I'm shook. I'm shook because in that moment, I thought I did everything I was supposed to do. I checked my mirrors, I looked in my rear view mirror, but unfortunately, even though I did everything I was supposed to do, I could not see them because they were in my, they were in my blind spot. See, this morning we're talking about justice, and I need you to know that there are obvious blind spots that you and I deal with. See, blind spots are dangerous because you can't see them coming. See, uh, everyone kind of heard of the story of the, the mom and her dad or the parent that is, you know, in their car and they're backing up, and all of a sudden they, they, they're met with tragedy as their son and their daughter is crushed under the weight of a tower because of a blind spot. We see this moment where hormonal teenagers, they make life-altering decisions because of Blind spots. I told you guys I'm a Florida Gator. How many hurricanes in here, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. Every single year we feel like it's a championship year because it's a blind spot. Let's just be honest, right? Obvious blind spot, right? I mean, for the Florida Gators, we're kind of making fun of myself. I mean, how in the world do you think this year is going to be a championship year when you got a new coach and a, and a quarterback that has only started three games? Like, what in the world are you thinking, right? But we beat Utah. Like, no, no, no. Like, that's a blind spot. When it comes to followers of Jesus, when it comes to justice, we got blind spots. Here's one big blind spot is that you and I, as we navigate this world, if we look at justice through our heart, through our eyes and not his eyes, one of the blind spots that we'll find ourselves in is that we'll find ourselves reacting to the world around us instead of responding to the God within us. So there's this reality where if we don't play our cards right, if we're always trying to get justice enacted in our hands, if we're always trying to see justice done through our eyes, the reality is, is that we're gonna be reacting 
on and off of the social media, on and off of the agenda of our friends that, and their ideas and their politics and all these different things, we're going to find ourselves reacting to the world around us instead of listening to the God within us. So it is my heart today that we're going to respond to the God within us. Church, there's something about a church that is set on looking and gazing on the thoughts and the attitudes and the behaviors of the king who knows all, who sees all, and who comes to restore and conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. There's something about being able to fix our eyes on him and not the things of this world. Look at your neighbor say blind spots. See, this morning I'm asking for us to take off the blinders. See, as we look at this text, we see this mother attempting to overcome the blind spots of her son. And she says two things. She says, number one, don't get distracted like the rest of the kings. The rest of the kings, they're going to give themselves to relationships with women. They're going to give themselves to drinking. They're going to give themselves to, to me, 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 kind of pumping themselves in the pleasures of their world. Don't do that. Don't get distracted. Even this morning, my heart for us is that we're not going to get distracted. It's so easy to go to social media. It's so easy to go to Instagram. It's so, so easy to get our justice theology from TikTok. See, Jesus has, the Bible has the perfect justice that both convicts and liberates. There's something about this mother and her advice to her son when she says, don't get distracted. But number two, she says, open your mouth. Not for a political agenda, not for an organization that cannot save, that cannot restore, that cannot, that cannot redeem. Open your mouth for the mute. Open your mouth for the destitute. Open your mouth for the poor and the needy. If you're ready to dive in, say dive in. See, how do we uncover these blind spots? How do we seek the interests of others instead of the interests of ourselves? How do we seek the, 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 the thought of partnering with God and not our celebrity? We have to, number one, ask the question, how does God see justice? See, if we want to know how to actually enact justice, we want to know how, actually how to navigate justice, we have, to, we have to ask God, how do you see justice? justice. See, oftentimes when we think of justice, we think of it as a balancing of the poles that we're correcting an overcorrection on one side with an overcorrection on the other side, but biblical justice is much deeper than that. The Hebrew word for justice is this word called mishpat, and it occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament in various forms, but behind every place where the Bible talks about justice is the desire for shalom. Everywhere that the Bible talks about justice is the heart of the Father for shalom. See, shalom is not just peace, it's not just blessing, but it's this wholeness, it's the full weight and the benefit of economic and spiritual and physical flourishing for his people. In other words, shalom is the way things ought to be. When Jesus, when, when, when God created the, the universe in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and he fashions together human beings and he makes man in his own image. He has created a place of shalom. Sin breaks that. Humanity is separated because of sin. And the beautiful part of justice is us getting back to this place where we were once whole, where we were once complete, where we were once together. See, behind the, the veil of justice is the beauty of shalom. See, oftentimes when we think of justice, we think, it of, uh, we think it of it solely as like you did the crime, you do the time. And we think, man, we're going to make someone pay. This is why when we look at culture and someone makes a mistake on social media or they blow it or they say a racist comment, it's so easy for us to cancel them. Listen, that's one form of a skewed version of justice. But the justice that we oftentimes see in the Bible is this restorative justice. Justice that's not just meant to just lock someone up and say, hey, I'm throwing away the keys. 
this restorative justice that says, hey, there is a time, there is a place, there is a, a setting for you to pay with for what you've done, but I'm also in the process, I'm going to restore you back in healthy ways and restorative ways that will allow you to prosper. See, the heart of God is not just punishing, but it's, it's restoring. See, the reason why we need justice is because the world was built for shalom and it's unraveling everywhere. Every single place that we look in the context of our, in our society, it's, it's unraveling. And throughout the, the history, we've seen it unravel with vulnerable people groups that have faced mistreatment and, and affliction and persecution. But God is looking for those that are going to act. See, in a world where the abuse of women from 1455 has become an epidemic, it's the number one cause of death globally. We have to act. In a world where 40 million people are owned and forced into labor, a lot of whom who are not kidnapped by other people, but kidnapped by family members so they can make ends meet, we have to act. In a world where a third of the population are in places where it's illegal to hear the gospel, we have to act. See, the work of justice is the work of shalom where we are able to go physically, spiritually, materially into places where there's unraveling and to inject ourselves into the lives of others to spend ourselves for people who will never pay us back. This is why when Pastor John talks about this effort to, to stop children being taken out of their homes before they go, this is... This is not something that we're just going to be like, yo, we got you some car seats, you better pay us back. No, no, no. Like, what, what you're doing is you're establishing shalom within the family. Well, Mike, isn't that just social justice? Do you know how the God of the Bible introduces himself? In Psalm 68, he says, I am a defender, a father to the fatherless. I'm a defender of the widows. Over and over again, he identifies himself with the poor. He even introduces himself in ways where he says, I am the God of the poor. I am the father of the orphan. I am the defender. I am the husband to the widow. I defend those people. Look at this. Proverbs 11 says this. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoice. Let me say that again. When your community prospers, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Proverbs 19, it says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he who reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 29 says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. See, friends, God's creative design is that shalom is... This wholeness is based on the fact that we're all interconnected. See, shalom is an exclusive act. Shalom is a communal act, which means when you're hurting, it actually affects me. When you're suffering, it, it actually affects me. When your community is broken, it actually affects my community. When your life is in shambles, it actually affects me. See, there's, there's something about this biblical version of shalom that we see in the book of Acts that it says that when they gather together as, as the church, they, they gather together and they, they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And they said this, they said, man, what they had was not their own. And they began to give of themselves. Literally, if someone was in need, they would share it. It's literally, if someone needed uh, something, it was like, man, listen, this is not even my own, this is yours. And guess what happened with the early church? This early church would prosper. Even in the face of persecution, even in the face of division, this church would thrive. See, justice is not just justice. Justice is the response when shalom is out of place. When shalom is out of place, justice is the response to getting things right. All right, might I get that that's the heart of God when it comes to justice, but what do we do about that? Well, the only way we can actually fulfill this this biblical version of justice is to examine our hearts. That's point number two is, is that I'm asking for you to examine your heart. When is the last time that, that you actually got a chance to do an introspection on you? I'm not talking about like that quick, you know, like, God, is there anything in here? All right, cool, I'm good, you know. 
But how many of you guys have ever had surgery before? Anybody have surgery before, right? You go into the operating room, and what happens? Before you go to the surgery, what happens? You, they knock you out, right? Right? For those of you who, like, were awake, I'm sorry. Like, that's, that's sad. But literally, the, um, the person comes in, the doctor comes in, this anesthesiologist, that's the name, right? They come in, and they literally knock you out. Why? Because the doctor needs to come in unrestricted. The doctor needs to come in, and he needs to have full access to pull out what's ever wrong in you. See, it's funny because sometimes when we, out, when we ask God to check us, here's what we do. We're like, God, you can check us, but not here. Not here. Not here. Don't look. He's like, listen, I already see everything, right? We're like Adam in the garden. Like, <laughs> who told you you were naked? What? You know, like, what's going on, you know? Right? But, but man, when's the last time you, you got before God and you said, man, listen, God, there's some junk in here. God's like, I know. But God, I'm willing for you to take it out. See, I'm asking for us to, to examine our hearts. Examine our hearts for two things. Number one, examine our hearts against bias. What bias do we have in our hearts? Do we perform justice for slanted ways? Do we perform justice for approval? Do we perform justice to gain celebrity? Do we perform justice to get more likes on social media? It like pisses me off. I'm sorry. I said that word. Thank you, John, thank you. But it makes me really upset. <laughs> my mom, it made me think back in the day, um, my mom, whenever I would go home and, you know, talk about my teacher and, you know, all this stuff, I was like, mama, my teacher lied on me. She's like, boy, what? Ain't no adult lying on you? I'm sorry, mom, mom she storied. <laughs> she storied on me, right? <laughs> but... Forgot what I was talking about. Where was, where was I at? <laughs> yeah, it makes, it makes me mad when we go to social media, right? And you see these, these YouTubers and these TikTokers doing, like, mocked up, like, justice. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was like, man, let me, let me cut you. I love, like, yard, like, videos on Instagram. It's like, yo, let me knock on the door. Hey, I just want to cut your yard out of the kindness of my heart. Could you sign this waiver saying that I could put this on Instagram, you know? See, a lot of us, if we're honest, a lot of us do justice not for them, but for us. There's parts of us where we want to look good. We want to be seen as the good Christian, the good Samaritan. So we examine our hearts against bias. The other side of a bias is that because of our lack of understanding, we won't actually go places that God is calling us to go. I remember um, one of the first years um, in Gainesville, I did an internship where we were staying in a, a neighborhood called Pine Ridge. And, and I remember the first day as I was unpacking my bags and moving into the house, literally one of the neighbors looks at me and he's like, yo. I was like, what's up, man? He's like, man, y'all must be Christians staying out here. And I was like... Oh, wow. <laughs> Welcome to the neighborhood, right? He doesn't know that I grew up in neighborhoods just like this in Jacksonville, Florida, but I mean, still. But I remember going in, and, and, and my mind had to get unworked. My bias had to get unworked because in my mind, if I could be honest with you, I was thinking in my mind that these individuals that stayed in this neighborhood, they could have done better if they would have worked harder. But it wasn't until one night... <laughs> I'm hanging out with, with, with my guys, and we're, we're jamming to some music, and all of my friends, we decided to learn an instrument, and so we're kind of like playing. I got the guitar. My friend got a bass. My other friend got a piano. We're just jamming. Two o'clock in the morning, we hear this knock, knock, knock on the door, and we're like, man, what in the world was that? And my friend, he's, he's Haitian. Immediately, he hears the knock, and he turns off all the lights in the house.
And we look at him like, bro, what you doing, bro? Like, she just saw, or whoever it was, they just saw the lights on the house, like the lights in the house go off. So they know we home, right? Like, like, what are you doing? And so we open up the door and we walk out and this lady, she looks at us and she just starts cussing us out. She's like, I can't believe you. She's like, man, and in my mind, I'm already with the bias. I'm like, man, this lady is crazy. She says, man, she's like, I could have been shot and killed. I could have been dead. And you didn't even open the door. You call yourself Christians. And then you had the nerve to cut off the lights. <laughs> we all looked at our friend like. <laughs> and then she looks at me and she's like, well, what I really needed was you got 25 cent. <laughs> And I remember walking in my home and just kind of in disgust, like, man, I can't believe this lady would try to bother us at 2 o'clock in the morning. But it was a couple of weeks later as I was walking by, I saw her with her grandkids, and I went over to go talk to her. And in that moment, this bias turned into compassion because I got a chance to learn her story. So we got to be honest, we, we, have, we have biases that keep us from fulfilling the shalom the justice that God desires. See, the question I have for you is, does your heart shift when, when you're not affected? Does your heart mourn when you're not the one mourning? Does your heart grieve when it's not necessarily your situation? See, I don't know about you, but I remember during COVID, when COVID just first got announced, we have this, this I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember when it was in, in China and, and, it was, and it wasn't here, what was our mentality? Did we grieve? No, it was like, man, that's just on the other side of the world. Then when it got hit closer, like in you know, Central America, we were like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Then when it was in Washington State, we were like, man, you know, we in Florida, though. I mean, can't possibly travel. I mean, God bless Washington. Weren't we like this, right? It's like, God bless Washington and that nursing home. I mean, they'll be all right. But it wasn't, it wasn't concerning to us until it hit close to home in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. But here's the thing. We're going back to, to justice and this ideal of shalom. Shalom is not something that is exclusive for your own, but it's the, the gathering of communities that, that, that want wholeness. See, our hearts cannot be like the injustices of COVID-19 in our hearts towards that. It has to be something that when you're affected, I'm affected. You guys following me? See, number one on this is that we're checking ourselves on our biases, but the other thing is that we're checking our hearts for its desires and its burdens. I know a lot of times when people say, examine your heart is always just a bad thing. No, no, no. There are desires and burdens that God has put in you that are supposed to come out. I have this picture. Um, put up this picture. I want to ask you this question. Um, I think it's like a little, everybody say, aw. My son built that. My eight-month son built that. I'm just messing. I'm just. <laughs> no, seriously, I asked one of, um, one of the kids at our church in Tampa to, to build something. Just give me something, and I want you, and I said, hey, you got to name it, though. You got to tell me what it is, and I'm going to have them guess. And so I want to ask you, I got 20 bucks on the line. All right, 20 bucks. Can anybody in here tell me what this is for 20 bucks? If you guess it right, there's 20 bucks going in your hands. Transformer. How many of you guys said transformer? All right, all right. No, that's not it. All right. <laughs> Cat robot? No. All right, what else? What else? What do we got here? 20 bucks. I'll up it to 50. Anybody got 50 bucks? 50 bucks in my pocket, in John's pocket. <laughs> What's up? What you think? Iron Man? That's good, but no, yeah? Invader J, whoa, come on, no, no, that's not it. All right, 100 bucks, 100 bucks here, all right? I'm getting desperate, like, can somebody tell me what this is, all right? 100 bucks if you nail this, huh? Pastor Mike. <laughs> maybe, maybe, no, no, yeah. Anything else? Wally? No, no. All right, a thousand bucks, a thousand bucks, a thousand bucks, a thousand bucks. It's a tree? All right, 
So check this out. I said, I said, I said, hey, what did you build? He said, I built a robot. How many of you guys got a robot? Chicken. <laughs> Dinosaur. <laughs> I said, oh, cool. So robot, chicken, dinosaur. Now here's the thing, when it comes to this, there are desires that, and burdens that are in you that you don't even know that are, are inside of you. Now let's just assume this, this robot was real, this was real, right? This, this robot knew that it was a robot, but imagine if this robot was in microchurch and they were going through, you know, a book of the Bible or whatever, and every time, you know, someone mentioned the word Bible, they just, It's like, man, open up your button, you know, like, right? But you didn't know you was a chicken. That'd be kind of crazy, right? And to make matters a little bit more interesting, on the, dino, on the dinosaur part, not only are you a robot, not only can you cluck a little bit, right? You're a chicken, cluck, you know? But no one told you that there's a part of your DNA that is a survivor because there's no other dinosaurs that's on this planet Earth right now, right? No one told you your entire life that you have survivor instincts in you. That when the rest of the world is like clouding in judgment and destruction, somehow like a little cockroach, you make it out every single time. Isn't there a part of you that, want to, that will want to know that? Maybe not the chicken part, maybe not even the robot part, but there's a part of you that, that probably wants to know that you're tougher than you, than you seem. The challenge with that, though, is that the only one that can actually tell you all the things that you can't see in yourself is your creator in heaven. The only one that could tell the, the, the rest of the congregation that that was a, a chicken robot dinosaur was the one who made it. So the beautiful part of examining your heart is not just against bias, but it's also with desires. See, there's desires in you that if you got with your heavenly father, there are burdens in you that if you got with your heavenly father, oh my gosh, when it comes out, it would be so beautiful. There are things that your heart burns for. See, justification is this term that says the, the split second, this one moment that you've been made right with God. Sanctification is this ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. It's learning how to love the things he loves and to hate the things he hates. The challenge with this is that some people want their, their sanctification aligned with like their justification where in one instance they're made whole. Listen, I'm not expecting for your heart to burn for every single injustice in this world, but... I am calling you to figure out the injustices that your heart burns for and to go and enact shalom in this world. See, I, I, I'm okay with the process. I'm okay if you're like, man, I, you know, we give the missionary Sam every single year. I mean, I know human trafficking is bad, but I just don't really know why it's that big of a deal. My heart does not break in that way. Listen, I'm okay with that as long as year after year you're progressing to love the things that God loves and to hate the things he hates. And if we do that, oh my gosh, we will turn this city and this world upside down. See, here's what I, here's what I know. The third thing is, is not only are we looking at justice through his eyes, not only are we examining our hearts, but number three is I'm calling you to speak up and judge fairly. Verse 8 and 9 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. How do we start and how do we begin the process of speaking up for the voiceless? We have to be, getting, we have to be willing to first open up our ears and listen. During the pandemic, of course, there were so many injustices. It was just crazy. It felt like the world was just was just crazy, right? You guys remember that time? And I remember right after the George Floyd incident, I was a youth pastor, or a youth pastor, a college pastor at the time, and one of the ladies in my, 
in our congregation. I love this lady. Her kids are amazing. White lady, she comes up to me and she says, Mike, I just, I just really want to understand. I'm not here to argue. I, I just want to understand how is your heart breaking for these things and my heart is not. And I looked at her and I said, and it was with tears down my eyes, I said, man, the reason why I can look at George Floyd or I can look at the, the guy in Central Park that was bird watching and got falsely accused, the reason why it's so easy for my heart to weep and to, to cry and to mourn is because when I see them, their black skin, I automatically see me. When I see them, I see my uncle. When I see them, I see my father. When I see them, I see someone that I deeply care about. I'm not expecting for that to be automatic for you. I'm not expecting for, for you to just get it. See, see, what my skin has provided is provided a, a missions trip type of experience that you have not gone on yet. What do I mean by that is that, man, I remember, you know, my first trip to, to Honduras. And um, come on. <laughs> Who said that? Come on. Listen, if I go again, you coming with me. Let's go. Right. <laughs> I remember my first trip to Honduras, and I was leading a trip, and, you know, I was kind of like, I think it's like one of my first mission trips or whatever, and as the youth pastor, you know, you know how you want to have a bigger heart than the people that, you know, are going, you know? And so I remember that first meeting, we're all gathered together, and we're praying for the country of Honduras, and every single person that went to Honduras before me was like in tears just bawling. I mean, just like, God, we weep for Honduras. And it's going around in a circle. You know that moment where you know you're about to pray in like four minutes, you know, like, right? It's going around to me. And I'm trying to force a single tear out of my eye. I mean, I'm like, God, give me something. Come on now. Like, I need, I need something. Like, online, like, you get what I'm saying? Like, I need something. Like, give me something. Like, somebody give me, like, some, you know, some fake eye stuff, you know, whatever. I just need to, to emotionally go there, but I could not. The reason is, it's because I, I haven't gone there yet. I haven't gone there yet. Is I remember going to Honduras for the first time, and I got a chance to not just see a, a landmass, but I got a chance to see a people. And I remember meeting young men and young women who at the age of, you know, six or seven, as they were entering school and and honestly, the promise was that they would do elementary. That was kind of like the common thing. By the time they turned 10, 11, the parents would, would grab them out of school and they would have them work on the trash dump because they needed to provide for their family, right? And I'm hearing these stories of these young ladies and these young guys who all of a sudden are working for this organization and they're graduating high school and they're going to college. And year after year, I get a chance to see them grow up and get older and, and progress in life. And I get a chance to see moms and dads who were in broken situations now all of a sudden serving the school and volunteering and providing meals. Oh my gosh, it was that mission trip type of experience that burdened my heart. See, before I was the decree, before I was, I was willing to judge fairly and speak up, I had to get in a posture to listen. And so I get to this lady and I say, man, listen, the reason why your heart isn't mourning is because you haven't taken a mission trip type of experience to really mourn with people who look like me. If you want to speak up, because she's like, Mike, what do I got to do? I'll speak up, I'll speak up, I'll speak up. Listen, before I'm asking for you to speak up, I'm asking for you to go and listen. I'm asking for you to go and go and see. Come and Come do kids' church with me. Come to the neighborhoods with me. Come, come volunteer with me. Come watch this. Let's watch this together. Let's learn from each other. Because I wasn't even just asking for her to learn from me. I was, I was wanting to learn from her. I wanted to understand her world. See, a lot of times when, when someone disagrees with you, it's so quick to cancel them. But that does not lead to compassion. It does not lead to empathy. See, here's the beautiful part of the gospel. Maybe... You're here and you haven't yet followed Jesus. Here's the, the beautiful part. If you were to go on this journey with me, I would say this. Consistency in your life is going to lead to trust. And once trust is built, leads to an opportunity to share the gospel. See, I, I'm not just going to, like, come to you and be like, yo, <laughs> Jesus died for your sins. Come on, let's go. You know, like, you know, right? Like, if someone is outside of, of Christ, honestly, at times, and, and, they're, and they're stuck in their sins, the, the only thing that they need to hear is that Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you. I think a lot of times we, we're so willing to speak up what we believe when they're not even ascribing to what we believe. 
See, the healing part of the, the gospel is that there's, there's a savior of the world who has redeemed the world for you, who has taken your place, who has taken your sin and has gone to a cross for you that has not just stayed on the cross and died, but he got on the grave and he rose again victoriously for you. See, the beautiful part of the gospel, and here's the thing, is that God so loves you. See, Jesus, before he ever spoke up, he listened. He listened with humanity. See, I need you knowing is that Proverbs 1, 5 says, it says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Those of us who have power, those of us who have privilege, have an obligation to speak up. I'm asking for you to use the platform that God has given you. What is your platform? Are you a, a business leader? Use that platform. Are you well-connected in the community? Use that platform. Are you a doctor? Are you a nurse? Are you a teacher? Are you an American? <laughs> Raise your voice. See, the, the less voice that someone has, the, the more God's people are called to actively raise their voice. So who are we talking about here? Proverbs says this, that number one, that man, people who can't speak for themselves, would you raise your voice for people who cannot speak for themselves? When I think about this, I think about children that are in the womb who can't post on Facebook, that can't ask for help, that can't, you know, advocate for their life. Will you speak up for them? I think about children that are in the foster care. We have a, a young lady at our congregation that is literally, she is younger than me. She, she is single. She says, you know what? I'm going to give myself to the foster care system that no kid has to be left alone, broken in isolation by themselves. I am going to choose to respond. It also says to lift your voice for the destitute. These are people who are stuck and don't have a means, literally incapable of helping themselves. They, they have given up. We, we, we pass by so many people, homeless veterans, that, that, that are incapable of helping themselves, that are giving up. We see uh, people all the time that have untreated uh, addictions, people who are poor and weak, people who are in prison unjustly for crimes that they did not commit, people who are punished excessively for their crimes because of the color of their sin, their social class. Let's, let's just be honest. I mean, we talk about the 80s. When we talk about the war on drugs, there are so many different things that have been used to divide us. The challenge for us as Christians, as believers, is to, to use your voice. See, when you use your voice to, to echo his voice, that's when we change the world. The poor and needy is the last thing. And these are people that don't even have the financial means to speak up for themselves. What are you doing about the poor in your neighborhood? What are you doing about the needy in your community? Not just Greenhouse Church overall, what are, what are you doing? Yes, a good first step if you give. Yes, you're on a mission with us. But listen, God doesn't just want your finances. He wants your hands and he wants your feet. I'm not asking for you to just go and do what everyone else is doing. I'm asking for you to pull out the desires that are within you and figure out what you're supposed to do. Before I started following Jesus, I fell in love with youth and, and college students. That was something that God was pulling out of me before I ever knew him. There are things in you, I believe, that when, when God created you, he created you with a, with a backpack that is yours to absolutely kill it in this life. And here's what we do. Oftentimes, just like when we were in elementary school and I had a, a Ninja Turtle backpack, it was red. What do we do when we get in elementary? We see a Ninja Turtle backpack that is blue, and we said, I want that one. And so the sad reality is that we spend our life living out of someone else's backpack when our backpacks are the ones that actually give us life. See, it's going to take you getting alone with God and saying, man, God, what do you have for me? Maybe you're a college student and you, you're in a major that does not give you any passion at all. I'm not saying for you to change a major or drop it, but I'm asking for you to consider what God has for you. Maybe when the noise has canceled out and it's just you and God alone, maybe he has some details for you to allow you to figure this thing out. See, God cannot not see and not be moved to help hurting people. And the challenge, and you can we're gonna close out like this, the challenge for us is to, to join this, this mission. 
See, in a world of injustice, in a world of opposition, in a world of struggle, in a world of weakness, in a world of affliction, in a world of persecution, here's what drives us. It's that the same God that fashioned the universe together created a place just for us where we as his people can give him the most glory, the most satisfaction, the most praise, which our hearts come alive. It leaps, it comes alive to the fact that, that we're honoring God with our lives. It was built and it was separated for shalom, for peace, for wholeness, prosperity. The same God that started it is the same God that's going to carry it to completion because God is not done. What did God do with a broken world? He sent his son. What did God do with a world that was in shambles? A people that were killing themselves, a people that were destroying themselves, a people that were worshiping other things and other gods and was leading to their destruction. What did God do? He did not sit in heaven to count equality with God as something to grasp, but he would humble himself. Jesus would take on the form of a servant. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. Ephesians 2 says that there's this reality that all of us we're in this world and we're following the course and the patterns of this world. But verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the love for which he had loved us, while we were still in sins, Christ died. He died by grace. We have been saved. So the calling for us is to follow the marks of our Savior. That when he sees a lack of shalom, a lack of justice he comes in he steps in and he does something about it we as his people when we see a lack of justice when we see a lack of shalom we are to step in and do something about it see he here's the application this morning some of you have kind of given up you're at the 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 the, the breaking point you're like man Mike I just keep giving myself listen my challenge for you is to keep saying yes Every single day when you wake up, when you look in the mirror, when you're about to go to your work, when you're about to go to your job, and you think it's just pointless, you think, it, you think your position and your status is meaningless, you think your influence is minimal, listen, keep saying yes. God has you there for a purpose. See, I'm asking for you to do justice for the voiceless, not for you, but for them. Ask yourself, ask God, where in your home, where in your church, where in your spirit can he use you? See, here's the reality. If you're a doctor, you're not just a doctor, but you're a God's representative in the, in, in the medical realm of what God looks like when he heals people. If you're a lawyer, you're not just a lawyer, but you're a God's representative of what God looks like when he fights for those who have been wronged. If you're a business person, you're not just a business person, but you're a God's representative of what God looks like when he runs an organization that, that brings shalom to the world. If you are a teacher, you're not just a teacher, but you're God's representative in the classroom of what God looks like when he teaches a lesson. When if you're a college student, you're not just a college student, but you're spending these four years for the glory of God to reveal to the classmates around him that literally the nations are gathered in this campus for four years, you are there as God's representative to reveal what God looks like when he has grace and compassion and shalom. See, the gospel is, is, is we raise our voice. We lift our voices. We echo his words for the poor because we realize if we're honest, we're also poor. We're broken. We're pitiful. We're in need of prepare. And all of us are like the woman in Luke 8, where we see this bleeding issue of a woman for 12 years who has this condition that she can't seem to get better on her own. And she goes to different doctors, but her condition gets worse. And and this woman for so many years thought that her life, her entire life was going to be in isolation because this bleeding issue was something that could not come into contact with people who are clean. This is an unclean moment. Can you imagine being this woman, this, this poor person that was trying to figure out how she was going to live the rest of her life? See, we're just like this woman, but the beautiful part, the gospel that gets worked into our life is that it just so happened that when Jesus was on another assignment, he happened to be walking by her street, her neighborhood, her community center, her school. He happened to be the 
person in the grocery store with a cashier that is us that is just having a bad day. He's, he's walking past our neighborhood in our most critical moment. What do you do when the, when the God of the universe chooses to pass down your lane? And then this story, when he was headed to someone else, he still had compassion. Because she fights through the crowds and she gets the hem of his garment. And it's in that moment that her life is forever changed. When every other person is like, man, what are you doing? Jesus allows her to just be. And he brings shalom in this woman's life. Changes her world forever. Jesus wants to change your world forever. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to ask for our, our, our altar team to come up. And I'm just going to ask you a, a simple question. Maybe today, Jesus needs to come into your world. As a matter of fact, Jesus has come into your world. Maybe it's time for you to fight through the crowds and respond. Maybe your world has been unraveling for a long time. Maybe you feel like you're in the you're like two steps from destruction. Jesus wants to make you whole. Maybe you're online. My challenge for you to take the next step. Guyana crew, today is the day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, today, maybe it's time for you to come home. That Jesus is not just a Lord who we give our lives to, but he first compels us by being a savior. That while we were still in sin, Christ died. By grace, you have been saved. Paul talks about this in Romans, that for some of us, we feel stuck in our sin, and we find ourselves doing what we don't want to do. We find ourselves messing over our life and stuck in, in the pitfalls of the disaster that is sin. This is what Paul says. He says, who will save me from this life of sin and death? He mentions one name, and that name is Christ Jesus. And the same thing for you today, child of child of God son and daughter it's time to come home if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus today is the day on the count of three I just want you to lift your hands I just want to see you and we're going to respond if you're saying today is the day ready one two you say I'm giving my life three would you lift your hands Maybe today is your day to get baptized. We have a tank outside, right, John? We have a tank outside and love to celebrate this moment with you going all in. Let me pray for us and then let's go back to the worship just for a second just to kind of meditate on this. Jesus, I thank you for everyone here. And God, I thank you for your word that speaks a better word. Lord, I thank you that, that God, you are a forgiver, you are a restorer, you are our shalom. We love you in Jesus' name.